There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Before we get going today, I have a couple of notices. The first is to thank all of my Patreon supporters who have been weighing in on the Secret Queen's Council. You've all been very kind and constructive, and I hope to have more stuff to share with you next week. I'd also like to thank all of my new supporters, Stephen, Robbie, Emily, Natalie, and Stephanie. If you'd like to join them and have a say in the new podcast, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash Queens of England podcast, where you'll find all the details. Since Christmas is on the way, I'm going to be doing another run of merch. You guys on the Facebook group had some really good ideas for stuff. Sadly, some of them I can't do at such short notice, though. Keep an eye on the Facebook page and on the website for news on that this week. To all my new listeners, welcome. For the rest of you, welcome back. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the Queens of England podcast. Supplemental, the Queen's Cookbook. I can't speak for those of you living outside of the UK, 
But if you turn on the TV at any time of day in this country, you can be sure to find some sort of cookery programme. Indeed, for the last two years in the UK, the most watched television show has been a baking show, and it makes big news every year. These shows are ubiquitous in our society, as they combine touches of the familiar, aspiration and nostalgia. Food can be political as well. Politicians love to show themselves off as being good family men and women with good values by showing them making dinner for their kids or serving food at carefully choreographed media barbecues. The personal is political. And it was the same in the 17th century. You will recall, I'm sure, the pamphlet The King's Cabinet Opened, the devastating publication by Parliament of the correspondence between Charles, Henrietta and the Irish Catholics. The book framed the letters partly as proof of a king acting treasonously, working to secure an invasion by dangerous foreign Catholics against his good, God-fearing people, but also as a demonstration of how the king's foreign Catholic wife had him wrapped around her little finger. He was her puppet. As I said in the last episode, the publication of these letters led to Charles and Henrietta's reputations going absolutely through the floor, and contributed to him being executed by Parliament. But they had their defenders. I quoted one of them, Llewellyn's satire, at length. These defenders put the communication with Irish Catholics to one side, as that was basically impossible to defend, tackling instead the presentation of Charles as being an overly uxorious husband, and did so by examining these letters through a domestic perspective. Let's remember that, at the time, and let's be honest, still today in many cases, the man's domain was the world outside of the home earning a wage, providing food and shelter for his family, making decisions and influencing the wider community, that sort of thing. However, once he got home, he was in the woman's domain, the domestic domain. She entertained guests, raised the children, made sure that there was enough food in the home and prepared it for meals. She is the boss of the house. Society doesn't see it as bad for women to be in charge here, to issue commands and dominate. Outside of the home, though, it was, and to an extent still is, a different matter. In terms of Charles and Henrietta, what royalists tried to do then was to frame the revelations of female dominance in the King's Cabinet Opened as being in the domestic sphere, trying to move it from a negative to something more acceptable. But what I didn't talk about in that episode largely because it would have been one monster of a digression, is what Charles and Henrietta's responses to this were. For Charles, his defence was posthumous, and came through the publication of a book called Acon Basilicae. Now, it's not certain that Charles definitely was the author of this book, but at the very least, it was stated very clearly on the book that he was. The book is a kind of spiritual autobiography, and was published about a week and a half after his execution. In it, he ruminates on his life and the civil wars, and searches his conscience and tries to find solace in the words of the Bible. He portrays himself as a deeply pious man, a counter perhaps to the attacks on him being a Catholic, which to Protestants at the time it was equated with being anti-Christian. The book is intensely personal, and seeks to redeem his character. This book would have been part of Charles's rehabilitation in the public eye after the Restoration, which included, incredibly, his canonisation as a saint, making him the only purely Anglican saint ever proclaimed. For Henrietta, her redemption came while she was still living, albeit in exile in France. 
This was also a defence from the personal sphere, and in the form of a book, albeit a very different kind of work. First published in 1655, so six years or so after the execution of Charles I, and one year after Oliver Cromwell had been made Lord Protector, The Queen's Closet opened, incomparable secrets in physic, chirurgery, preserving, candying and cookery was published. Now you can see right from the off that this is a response to the King's Cabinet opened from the title. This book has often been termed as a cookbook, but as you can tell from the title, it was really more of a general household guide, as it also contained information on health and medicine. It was marketed as a peek behind Henrietta's curtain, offering a glimpse to the English public of what life was like if you were a Queen of England. But it also had a deeper purpose, one of changing Henrietta's public narrative, from the domineering foreign Catholic to the good English housewife, someone who developed and shared recipes, dispensed medicines and aid, and offered warm hospitality. Who wouldn't fall in love with that? Now the first thing to say, and this is very important, Henrietta definitely 100% did not write this book. She didn't know it was happening and was not asked for her approval. The author is only identified as W.M. And while we have some suspicions about who it was, we don't know for sure. The book opens with a very elaborate frontispiece featuring Henrietta's portrait and contains the book's full title and blurb. I didn't actually give you the whole thing earlier because it is so ridiculously long. It is. The Queen's Closet opened, incomparable secrets in physic, chirurgery, preserving, candy and cookery, as they were presented to the Queen by the most experienced persons of our times, many whereof were honoured with her own practice when she pleased to descend to these more private recreations. Never before published with additions, transcribed from the true copies of Her Majesty's own recipe books by W.M., one of her late servants. Vivit post funera virtus. So, there's a lot to unpack there in that sort of subtitle. Let's start from the end. That bit of Latin at the end, vivit post funera virtus, means virtue lives after death. Now, Henrietta, of course, is still alive at this point, but this is designed to be a grandiose way of making this book Henrietta's everlasting legacy, something that would outlast her. Moving forwards, then, the bit about being from true copies of the Queen's own work that has never been published before. I mean, I write marketing copy for books for a living. This is all gold. I'm sure I've used pretty much the same stuff loads of times. It's all about adding a sense of authenticity and glamour to the work. This is about revealing the secrets of the rich and famous so that you or I can see and live their lives and copy aspects of them. This is also the case when it talks about them being presented to her from experienced persons and her honouring them with her own practice. Again, this adds to the book's value, presenting it as an intoxicating mix of royal glam with the skill and competence of experts in the field who too were amazed at the Queen's knowledge. This is great stuff. Okay, I think that's enough analysis of the front. Let's dive into the book itself. It's divided into three sections. The first is medicinal. The pearl of practice, accurate physical and chirurgical receipts. For the record, chirurgical means surgical and receipts means recipes. Now I'd like to put out a hopefully needless public disclaimer at this point. Don't treat injuries as Henrietta slash WM says. Consult, you know... A medical professional. This section comprises about 190 pages, albeit small ones with big writing, 
and offers advice on treating a great number of maladies. These include a treatment for rickets in children. It's a three-part process. First, it instructs you to, quote, take a quart of new milk, put it into one handful of sanical, which is a kind of plant, boil it halfway, and give it to the patient child to drink in the morning for a breakfast, and let it not eat anything for an hour or two after it. And at night, take a quart of milk and one handful of red mints, boil it halfway as before, and let the child eat it last at night. This continue for a month or longer as occasion is. This quantity of milk so made will serve for twice. It then gives instructions about how to produce unguent, a kind of ointment for the child's breast. Quote, Take fresh butter, sanical, red mints, of each one pound, stamp the herbs very small, then mix it with the butter to a perfect unguent, and therewith anoint the child's breast every morning and evening before the fire. You must anoint it from arm to arm, that it may open the breast, and also anoint the gullet bones, that they may open, for in this disease they will seem to close. Then, finally, it tells you how to, quote, anoint the ricketed child's limbs and to recover it in a short time, though the child be so lame as to go upon crutches. Take a peck of garden snails and bruise them. Put them into a coarse canvas bag and hang it up, and set a dish under it to receive the liquor that droppeth from them. Wherewith, anoint the child in every joint which you perceive to be weak, before the fire every morning and evening. This I have known made a child that was extreme weak to go alone, using it only a week's time. That is just one example. Just a little further on, it says that to induce labour in a pregnant woman, you should, quote, Take a pint of ale and boil it, and put it to a woman's milk to make a posset of it, and let the woman in travel drink it. If you get punched in the face, you can reduce the bruising by doing the following. Quote, Take a piece of brown paper and wet it in beer and lay it where the knock is, and as it beginneth to dry, lay on fresh a good while together. I think you can notice a pattern emerging here. Now, most of these are either attributed to no one or to some particular medical professional, but there is one that is attributed to the Queen and is a medicine to treat the plague. Quote, Take of sage, elder, and red bramble leaves, of each one little handful. Stamp and strain them together through a cloth with a quart of white wine. Then take a quantity of white wine vinegar and mingle all these together and drink thereof morning and night, a spoonful at a time, nine days together, and you shall be whole. There is no medicine more excellent than this. When the sore doth appear, then to take a cock chick and pull it, and let the rump be bare, and hold the rump of the said chick to the sore, and it will gape and labour for life, and in the end die, then take another and the third, and so long as any one do die, for when the person is quite drawn out, the chick will live, and the soul presently will assuage, and the party recover. Mr. Winlaw proved this upon one of his own children. The thirteenth chick died, the fourteenth lived, and the party cured. It's a wonder that that cure never caught on. Okay, so moving on, we now have part two. A queen's delight of conserves, preserves, candying, and distilling waters. We moved on then from questionable remedies and on to the safer world of making sweet things, perfumes and safe water. Of these, none are directly attributed to Henrietta, 
But there is a recipe for face powder, concocted apparently by Lady Kent, which she shared with the Queen. Quote, Take white amber, crab's eyes, red coral, heart's horn, and pearl, all prepared several, of each alike proportion. Tear and mingle them, then take heart's horn jelly that hath some saffron put into a bag, dissolve into it while the jelly is warm, then let the jelly cool, and therewith make a paste of the powders, which being made up into little balls, you must dry gently by the fireside. Pearl is prepared by dissolving it with the juice of lemons, amber prepared by beating it into powder, so also crab's eyes and coral. Heart's on prepared by burning it in the fire and taking the shires of it especially, the pith wholly rejected. Aren't you all so keen to shove that on your face? But next up, we have some things you might actually want to try yourselves. For example, we have a simple and decent looking recipe for making great preserve. Now, I don't make preserves, but I have watched Bake Off about a billion times, and this looks about right to me. Quote, Take grapes when they be almost through ripe, and cut the stalks off and stone them in the side. And as fast as you can stone them, strew sugar on them. You must take to every pound of grapes three quarters of a pound of sugar. Then take some of the sour grapes and wring the juices of them, and put to every pound of grapes two spoonsfuls of juice. Then set them on the fire, and still lift up the pan and shake it around, for fear of burning too. Then set them on again, and when the sugar is melted, boil them as fast as you can possibly. And when they look very clear, and the syrup somewhat thick, they are enough. Given her nationality, it's not surprising that there are some French flavours in there. And one of them is a recipe for what is described as a French tart. Quote, Take a quarter of almonds, or thereabouts, and peel them. Then beat them in a mortar, take the white of the breast of a cold capon, and then take so much lard as twice the quantity of the capon, and so much butter, or rather more, and half a marrow bone. And if the bone be little, then all the marrow with the juice of one lemon. Beat them all together in a mortar very well, then put in one half pound of loaf sugar grated. Then take a good piece of citron, cut it in small pieces, and half a quarter of pistanius. Mingle all these together, take some flour and the yolks of two or three eggs, and some sweet butter, and work it with cold water. To translate that a bit, loaf sugar is just the way that sugar came in those days. A capon is a kind of chick. What pistanius is, is sadly beyond me. Finally, we move on to part three, the complete cook, expertly prescribing the most ready ways, whether Italian, Spanish or French, for dressing of flesh and fish, ordering of sauces or making of pastry. Basically, these are main courses, as opposed to desserts and sweet treats which were in the previous part. Now, none of these are directly attributed to Henrietta, but then again, almost none of them are attributed to anyone. This section relates a great number of recipes involving the preparation and cooking of meat, puddings, and other savoury things. These range from simple things, such as rice pancakes. Quote, Take a pound of rice and boil it in three quarts of water till it be very tender. Then put it into a pot covered close, and that will make a jelly. Then take a quart of cream or new milk, put it in scalding hot to the rice, then take 20 eggs, three quarters of a pound of melted butter, and a little salt. Stir all these well together, put as much flour to them as will make them hold frying. They must be fried with butter, they must be made overnight best. 
to a slightly more complex one on how to stew mushrooms. Quote, Take them fresh gathered and cut off the hard end of the stalk, and as you peel them, throw them into a dish of white wine. After they have lain half an hour or thereupon, drain them from the wine and put them between two silver dishes. Then set them on a soft fire without any liquor. And when they have so stewed a while, pour away the liquor that comes from them, which will be very black. Then put your mushrooms into another clean dish with a spring or two of thyme, an onion whole, four or five corns of whole pepper, two or three cloves, a bit of an orange, a little salt, a bit of sweet butter, and some pure gravy of mutton. Cover them and set them on a gentle fire. So let them stew softly till they be enough and very tender. When you dish them, blow off all the fat from them and take out the thyme, spice and orange. Then wring in the juice of a lemon and grate a little nutmeg among the mushrooms. Toss them two or three times, put them in a clean dish and serve them hot to the table. All the way up to making a steak pie with a French pie in the middle. Quote, Season your steaks with pepper and nutmegs and let it stand an hour in a tray. Then take a piece of the leanest of a leg of mutton and mince it small with suet and a few sweet herbs, tops of young thyme and a branch of penny royal, two or three of red sage, grated bread, yolks of eggs, sweet cream, raisins of the sun. Work till together like a pudding with your hands stiff and roll them around like balls and put them into the steaks in a deep coffin with a piece of sweet butter. Sprinkle a little verjuice on it, bake it, then cut it up and roll sage leaves and fry them, and stick them upright in the walls, and serve your pie without a cover with the juice of an orange or lemon. To translate some of that, a raisin of the sun is a currant. Uh, verjuice is a very acidic juice made from unripened fruits such as grapes and crab apples, and penny royal is a kind of minty herb. So, I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of hungry right now, so I won't blame you all if you pause right now and get a snack. Great. Okay, so now that I've read some of the recipes in the book out to you, let's have a look at some similarities between them. The first thing to note is that they are, for the most part, fairly concise and easy to follow. They don't contain much fluff, being pretty to the point, and don't give a whole lot about the originators of the recipe. This shows that the book was meant to be widely read, followed, and shared. It is an immensely practical and useful book, and was designed from the get-go to be so. Now, a few of these recipes are far beyond what the average English woman could have produced in her kitchen. But equally, these are, for the most part, not hugely elaborate instructions for making a centrepiece for a feast meant for royalty. They contain some unusual and exotic ingredients, such as saffron, but most of them would have been readily available to most middle-class urban types. I mean, look at most cookbooks today. They often contain a mix of simple recipes, with ones that have some ingredients that you have to Google and then spend ages in the shop trying to find them. This utility and shareability, coupled with the universal language of food, made this book a perfect propaganda vehicle. But what is interesting is there is a surprising lack of references to Henrietta in it. I read to you a few of the times that she is mentioned, and of course she's very prominent on the cover, but there aren't that many. We don't know if she liked any of these recipes, what her favourite meals were, what she served at parties. 
only certain recipes that she had presented to her or presented to others. For that sort of thing, we have to go to a different cookbook. This was written by the diplomat and philosopher Sir Kenelm Digby, who was a close friend and ally of Henrietta, and actually followed her to exile in France during the Commonwealth period. In 1669, after his death, his son published The Closet of the Eminently Learned Sir Kenelm Digby KT Opened. This is a straightforward cookbook, unlike The Queen's Closet. But another way it differs is that it explicitly references the authors or promoters of most of the recipes. There are actually three linked to Henrietta. The first is a hydromel, which is a mead made from honey, which was thought to have medicinal properties, which Digby gave to the Queen when she was ill. He calls it Hydromel as I made it weak for the Queen Mother. And at the end it says, Thus was the hydromel made that I gave the Queen, which was exceedingly liked by everybody. Then there is the Queen Mother's Hotchpotch of Mutton, a very complex recipe for a very rich-looking stew. And finally, Précis Nourissant, a dish made from the juices of roasted mutton, veal and chicken, with added citrus juices. Digby states that, quote, The Queen used this at night instead of a supper, for when she took this, she did eat nothing else. It is of great, yet temperate, nourishment. So that was a slight digression, but I hope that you get the picture. Digby in his book is far more explicit than WM is in The Queen's Closet about who liked, promoted and used the recipes. There are other differences too which are instructive. Digby was a very well-travelled man, and so his recipes have a decidedly international flavour. While The Queen's Closet does have foreign-inspired recipes, the great majority of them might be described as English classics, or involve twisting a foreign recipe to make them more English. The people that are mentioned in the book are invariably English noblewomen, and include former queens such as Elizabeth I and Anne of Denmark. So, we can clearly see here, Henrietta is being promoted as an English queen, one who had come over from abroad, yes, and brought over what was best from across the channel, but was now fully assimilated into English culture. So I guess the big question is this, how successful was this book? Well, we don't have anything so useful as print numbers or sales figures for the book, life is never that easy, but we do know that the book ran to many editions, proof that there was considerable demand for it. Excitingly, we also have reviews for it. A famous contemporary author, Hannah Woolley, states that, quote, I will not deny, but I have made some use of that excellent book, The Queen's Closet. Another author, Robert May, stated that, quote, Nor is there any book, except that of The Queen's Closet, which was so enriched with receipts presented to Her Majesty, as yet that I ever saw in any language that ever contained so many profitable experiences as in this volume. We know the price too, two shillings and sixpence, which wasn't a lot of money. And we have records of them flying off the bookshelves at stationers' shops. So I think it is fair to say that this was a bit of a hit. Loads of these books have survived, and many of them have little annotations, changes or corrections, showing that this book was much used and loved. What this book did then was to bring the royal court into your own home. It added a touch of royal stardust to your life. This had the effect of promoting Henrietta as a figure, but also, in a sense, it democratised her, making her a figure in the everyday lives of the middle classes. So that's the end of the episode, and I hope that you enjoyed it. But I just want to say a couple of things before I go. 
First of all, I've posted links to both the Queen's Closet Opened and the Closet of Sir Kenelm Digby in the show notes and on my website for your perusal. What I thought would be super fun is that if you could have a look at some of the recipes and have a go at some of them at home. Now, be sensible. Don't try anything that looks dangerous or anything like that. I would recommend staying well clear of all of those medicines. But the food ones should be fine. Feel free to adapt some of the ingredients if you can't find stuff. But really, just have fun with it. I certainly will be. And if you do make any attempts, please, please, please be sure to share some photos and, you know, a review of how it turned out. You can post them on the Facebook page, tag at Queen's Podcast on Twitter, or chuck me an email. That address again is queensofenglandpodcast at gmail.com. So next week, we're back to our regularly scheduled programming, looking at Henrietta's daughter-in-law, Catherine of Braganza, the first Portuguese queen to sit on the English throne. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 